Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up and I catch what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? Did you see anything unusual? It's above our pig ring. Do I get a cookie now? 
found the film board from the next reel on rashpixel.fm we spoil movies on tonight's show we all went out and got into the sights of the predator this is the new evolution of the original schwarzenegger sci-fi action horror hybrid from all the way back in 1987 i'm so excited to hunt this one down with our motley crew of mercs let's meet our gang say something clever steve sarmento something clever steve sarmento hello tommy handsome <laughs> Did that sound like the Predator at all? <laughs> no. I have not been practicing. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll work on it. What do you got, Andy Nelson? <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> that's, that's much more understandable. Although there is a translator that you can use. I learned that in this movie. I am JJ, and before we get started, you can go find out everything important about this show and the Next Real extended family of shows at thenextreel.com. There are great ways to join us and our vibrant movie community over there, and we want to continue this conversation with you. All right. New Predator, Big Predator. New movie. What did you guys think of it? Uh, what are your initial thoughts, Andy? Oh, starting it off with me. I, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm a, a big fan of the first Predator film. I have never really found that any of the uh, subsequent films really held any uh, candle to that original film. And unfortunately, I felt the same about this one. Oh, okay. Mm. So more in line with the failures. That's me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tommy, what did you think of it? Uh, at, th- at first I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then a little bit later I was like, oh, okay. And then after a while I was like, all right. <laughs> Does that help sum it up? <laughs> I, not it had really. Me, not really. It had me for a while and I thought I met it on its level and then it kept falling apart over and over again in the last half an hour to 40 minutes I thought was an absolute disaster. Uh, so, oh, so bad really- that it took away my enjoyment of the first part. Yeah, yeah, that's we and I want to talk about where those points were for you mm-hmm. exactly because I think I think there's some interesting turns and some interesting not pacing, but it's an interesting it's an interesting pace for the whole thing. The whole sort of tempo of the film, it goes in a, a couple different scattered directions. Yep. So I want to talk about that with you. Okay, Steve, how what were your thoughts on it? It was an 80s action movie written by mm. Shane Black. That's what I wanted. That's what I got. I I, I love Shane Black. I the, the way he's able to to balance humor, and storytelling, and action. I just I I went in not you know having seen a lot of the previews. I I've seen the first Predator. Uh, I saw the second one. I didn't see any of the Alien versus Predator. Oh, I did see what was the was it like two thousand eight or nine or whatever Predator the uh, the other Predator that. Uh, with Adrian Brody. Uh, so I guess I've seen most of them. And I, for me, this just meant to be something specific, which was like 80s style, over the top action and cheesy comedy. And, and I loved it for that. Oh, that's cool ah. that you loved it. So, yeah, so what I'm getting from you is that it was like a period movie by Shane Black. Uh, well, and a period in a genre film, right? A genre period movie by Shane Black. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I think that's actually kind of contrary to way that what I took away from it was. I, I felt like it was a good movie. I thought going in, I, I felt it was good. and it, it But it challenged me on something because that first Predator movie is so – it's in my hallowed halls of like forever remembering the great movies of my youth, right? It was in 1987 and it was the first rated R movie that I saw. We've talked a lot mm. about that in the run-up to this show. 
but I really love it and I really love what it was. And I found that in this movie, I felt there were some great homage pieces there that they were doing. But in general, I, I, the movie made me feel old. It made me feel like um, that they were trying to do something that had been done before and not doing it as well. And it made me feel like they were doing a lot of things that were sort of uh, trying to be the new style of that and that I didn't really like that. So I, I kind of had this like get off my lawn feeling about it. And I, I'm, I'm reminded of the conversations we have on this show a lot of the fact that we are not of a younger generation going to see this movie. We are not, you know, it's, it's rated R. So we are not, you know, in our late teens, early 20s seeing this movie. But if you are of that age, I think you would really like this movie. I think it's really good for that group of people mm. who don't have the rooted familiarity with what we emotionally thought about those original Predators. So I think it's a good movie, but it really didn't work for me in lots of different ways. And I think a lot of that is about its scattered tempo. And um, so I want to get into that, too. And Steve, you talked about some of those movies, but I actually want to ask Andy first. You, It sounded like you've actually seen all of them. All, in, there's Predator 1, which you said 1987, right? And then the Predator 2 with Danny Glover came out in 1990. And then you have the... Aliens versus Predator movies. Did you see those too, Andy? Yes, Alien versus Predator you and Alien versus Predator Requiem. Correct. Two thousand four and two thousand seven, and the which interesting is the one thing that takes place those. in a pyramid underground. That's two thousand four. Okay, that's the one I've seen. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay, you've seen that one, and then two thousand seven. Actually, you guys should know. Well, if you didn't know, I just read about it because I didn't see it. it. It takes place in Colorado where they, they're going back to battle in Colorado. So that's kind of interesting, too, and it's AVP Requiem. And now we have this, and then we had Predators, which Steve mentioned uh, with Adrian Brody in 2010. And now we have this new The Predator movie coming out. I think, so, Andy, you've seen all of them. Right. Do they all matter to this one? I had only seen all of, I've seen clips of some of the others, but I had only seen all of that first Predator movie. So how important is what Shane Black is doing here from a story perspective and from a reference perspective is that whole series of movies from 87 all the way up to today. I don't think it matters to have seen any of them other than maybe the first one just to have a, a sense of the story. I think that they just kind of throw in some things in there like when the military guys are talking about well back in 1987 and then in this year and then in this year sure. as if they're trying to just tie that thread between everything. Um, the only other thing that I pointed out to somebody on Patreon that really you need to know, and you don't really even need to know it, is that in Predators, they had introduced those like predator hunting dogs. In the, oh, yes. we'd seen those before. I yeah, and, Okay, and, got it. And that was really, I think, I the only other takeaway that is anywhere in any of the films. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it matters. It's interesting because I hadn't seen the others, but I knew that Predator 2, the Danny Glover one, takes place in L.A. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I had this sort of assumption that this movie, because it takes place in a, a city-ish kind of place, in, in, in non-jungle after being in the jungle, I thought that it was trying to harken back into that idea of taking the aliens out and bringing them to a uh, populated area, that kind of thing. But it sounds like that more of those points were just for reference and for fun than anything else i in my research about this i went to the uh, the wikipedia page right and it's really interesting to look at the predator sort of canon going back and how they put those movies together they don't actually consider the avp movies the alien versus predator movies as part of this predator canon they only put the four movies now into that because an, an interesting piece about it is that the alien versus predator movies were created 
based on everyone seeing the Easter egg in Predator 2. Right. Where they had an alien skull in the ship when Danny Glover goes onto the as ship. It's like a trophy. So they see as a trophy. So they see that. And then there was so much fan fiction created about this the conquest of space, right? We get that line from Sterling K. Brown in this movie that um, that these creatures uh, had actually conquered space and that's why they were these sports hunters. Um, so there was all this fan fiction created and there is legions of fan fiction about the different things that the predators are doing and that the aliens are doing in this sort of uh, huh. this sort of active universe. And then they made those movies. So they aren't necessarily connected either in that way, which I find interesting too, because of where we're going with this movie uh, now. For you guys that did see the Alien vs. Predator movies, did they feel separate to you? Did they feel different? They felt, uh, I mean, they just, it it honestly just felt like mashup movies. You know, it's like Freddy vs. Jason. It's just, let's bring these guys together and see what they do to each other. It felt kind of like fan fiction movies. Um, Interesting. Just done by you know all the parties who retain all the rights, doing it together to make it happen. And to that end, I mean they're they're fun, but and entertaining, but also kind of just you know forgettable. It's sort of like it reminds me of you know going way way back and thinking of how I guess it was is it United Artists or MGM how they capitalized on the monster stories where they took Dracula and Frankenstein and put them together in all oh, sorts Universal. of strange Universal. movies with yeah. Universal and and then like they integ- they integrated the honeymooners at one point and they made a movie where it's Dracula Frankenstein it was and the honeymooner. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There you go. So you know more about it than me, obviously. But the <laughs> I want to see the one with the honeymooners. Have... <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Bang, zoom. Yeah, exactly. I bet if they could make money off of it, they would probably do that yeah, too. Absolutely. So, um, but that's. But I, I guess that's what I'm reminded of is that kind of thing um, when you're talking about that 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 these movies kind of have that mashup feel to it too. Um, Steve, you mentioned that this was such so typically 80s. What were some of the 80s tropes that you were gathering out of it? What made you feel particularly 80s about this movie? The music, for one, the score just it felt like very 80s. Actually, friend that I went and saw it with afterwards, he's like. It's like wow, they it was like they listened to Alan Silvestri's score for the original and said, let's let's emulate that to the best of our ability. But uh so many other things um that just remind me of the loud, bombastic action movies of the eighties. You've got manly men being manly men. You've got to have uh, you know, if you've got a one female liners. character. Yeah, one liners, if there's a female character, let's find a way to get her clothes off. Uh, because she's got to get her clothes off to be decontaminated as there's a predator running amok. Uh, although, you know, no nudity here, but just, you know, if you've got 15-year-olds, Olivia Munn's going to take her clothes off, they get all excited. Uh, big <laughs> guns, uh, you know, in the comedy throughout, I think to the, what makes these action movies in the 80s for me, it was always that balance between there's there's heavy violence but we have comedy underneath to stop it from becoming just this really like deadly serious heavy you know death and destruction we've got some levity to to lighten it up and so just the interactions between the the team that comes together on the bus and their rapport with each other and just guys being guys and joking with each other and riling each other up just it it's me it's very much out of out of the 80s and you can talk about you know the type of humor it's very crude it appeals to just so like the you know basis levels of humor that's very juvenile uh but it's still 
entertaining. The problem the problem with that though, Steve, is that the original film was also from the 80s, but did not have nearly as much nonsensical humor as this one did. It actually was a solid action film that had some humor, but it didn't try to rely on the humor all the way through and and turn it into this this completely tonally deaf film that just was all over the map and and never really focusing on the story that we were there for which was really just more of the predator but that's that, to me that's shane black though if you look at you know you know monster squad and you look well, that's a good one to look at uh, yes and to me it reminds me a lot of that and it's you know fred decker <laughs> wrote, wrote that with him where it, to me it's looking at things from a kid's point of view and to me that was an interesting part of this of having you know our one of our characters of you know a young child with you know that's on the autism spectrum and what are we saying about this character and, and, and making that a heroic character for a a group of perhaps movie movie viewers and fans out there that uh that don't function well in society and having a almost a role model here of using their ability so you know not that you don't have to be the the biggest toughest guy to save the world uh in the monster movie uh you can be that quiet kid well i yeah but i I think i i like that we're talking about writing here and i want to focus on that because the the key thing that we you know steve you say this is a shane black movie and what do we like about shane black's writing is that he can create an interesting dialogue and an interesting story around that dialogue in a clever way that has us literally probably every five minutes going oh that was a cool line right that's that's what we uh, we see with shane black and then some of his tone in movies but it has nothing to do with this sort of action thing that we've seen in the predators previous and who we're talking about putting him next to in this is john mctiernan and if you look at his work he wrote the original predator you know we're talking about Die Hard, and we're talking about you know the Thomas Crown Affair. These things that are really focused on the action and the story that have great writing in association with it. So I I kind of agree with you, Steve, to that point. But unfortunately, it didn't work with this movie because for me, I was looking for that original thing. And this is kind of going back to my initial thoughts about the movie too. I think it's going to work for some people. I think that people that are going to go to just appreciate this kind of movie standalone are going to be happy with it. But it definitely isn't the action movies we grew up with. Right. And also to that point, uh, you know, this, this speaks to just the world of franchises. That, and we're always talking about this, like when a new director gets to helm a film in a particular franchise, is it going to be kind of a studio dictated, you know, we repeat what we've done in the past? Or is it going to be that director allowed to do their own thing? And I know there have been a lot of back and forths as far as the opinions of, of Edgar Wright having to step back from Ant-Man and, and, any sorts of things like where a director with a clear vision is doing something in a franchise, then they're not allowed to. I mean, even going back to David Fincher with Alien 3, um, I, I think that that's sure. an interesting thing to also bring into this conversation. To Andy's point and Steve's point and JJ, to everyone's point, <laughs> um, is that I don't think that it's really seems like a Shane Black film. Uh, for me, oh, yeah. the humor, the humor was not. Um, at risk of jumping into something a little bit too, uh, detailed, but to have a character, uh, have Tourette's and to have that be a runner yeah. of jokes, that's the equivalent of my complaint, uh, last time of the happy time murders having an a-hole says what, what, 
Like this year yeah. starts with a two. We're not still making these kind of baseline jokes anymore. Yeah. So I, I was really surprised. I don't think I saw a lot of good Shane Black in this with the writing. Yeah, I felt his humor throughout was very dated humor. And I mean, maybe to Steve's point, he was trying to make an 80s action movie. But do we need an 80s action movie right now? No, I think we need an action film with smart writing. And that's what I went into expecting from Shane Black. And I was incredibly disappointed by what he delivered. It felt Mm -hmm. so like he's stuck in his head from the 80s trying to spit that same stuff out that might have worked when you know he was doing films in the past. But it certainly didn't work now. So now you guys, I think Andy and Steve in particular, you guys did, uh, you went and watched the good guys for, for the podcast, right? Nice guys. And that is a, oh, the nice guys. Thank you. And that is a period piece for the seventies, right? Yes. Yes. Is that correct? So do, do you, and that's Shane Black as well. So did you feel like some of the writing felt forced dated in that way, in that film? Is there any sort of parallel we can draw between the writing for that movie and this movie? I do feel that he at times ends up um, uh, stuck in his own world. Like, I feel like he's always throwing in like some some humor about homosexuality that nowadays just feels very tone deaf. Um, uh, There was some of that in that one. And I feel like he was trying to pull it off because it was in the 70s. And it was, you know, an earlier era. Sure. Um, And so, I mean, so I do think that he does stumble sometimes, but I did feel like in in that film, in some of his other films uh, that he had done, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I feel like he was just sharper at putting a story. It's so elevated. Yeah. Yeah. The story and the dialogue is so sharper. It's like it veers into Aaron Sorkin one-liners and like power plays sometimes. And this movie, for me, had such little of that. Yeah, well, and that, so, and I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here too, but I, I, another thing that made me feel really old was l- all of the cursing. <laughs> there felt like there was a lot of unnecessary cursing, and I really love cursing. So I don't know why it bothered me so much, but they had, you know, they had the kid swearing too, and they had everybody, you know, everybody was to- tossing off F bombs as if they needed to highlight jokes, um, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of goes with this concept of that they were just, constantly shifting the tone that dramatic things were 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 being then watered down by a joke with a curse that it just had it felt schizophrenic as an audience member to figure out where it was going i laughed at a number of the stuff because i was shocked and it was you know i i actually found humor in some of that stuff but it just felt again tone deaf or tone off for where they were trying to go with this movie well, it felt like what what Shane Black was doing the the Happy Time Murders thing. He's like, let's throw a lot of swearing right. in there just to make it R, because he he had been confirming over and over again how he was doing an R rated movie, and and you know PG thirteen is for you know uh, something that he said you know uh, weak people, I guess we'll say. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he, well, he's and, he's very, um, very adamant about it going to be an R film. And I feel like that's what he did to make it R. Uh, you know, even when he... Yeah, yeah there still is that sensor, right? There's a certain number of F-bombs that you drop that make it R. Is that that's still part of the MPAA rating thing? As opposed to PG-13? I think it's one. Right. Yeah. PG-13 can have, can have... Yeah. You can have one to two and you can't use it in a sexual context. Right. Oh man! Well, this <laughs> sorry, this movie goes way over the top for those numbers. Then blows it out of the water. This is totally rated R, which is interesting too. If you look back at Predator Two, was the first to get the NC seventeen rating, so maybe he was taking it as as a challenge. I mean, honestly, like it it, it wasn't based Predator, on language for Predator, Predator 2, Two. Was rated NC seventeen? 
Yes, it was the first one to get the new NC-17 rating when it came out. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I well, think that no, was... Okay, I will attribute that quote Henry because I June. found it as I was doing my doing my research for this movie. But, uh, but uh, it, well, it was one of them, and I will find the place where it says it was the first. But, Copy. Uh, oh, the, you're the key right, thing actually. Is, it says, it, it says that the, they initially gave it an NC-17, so they made some cuts to get it to R. Oh, so the first one that was released was Henry in June, I think. Yeah, right. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So, so Shane Black then probably was taking it as a little bit of a, what can I do? Now, it wasn't for language that they did that. That was for the graphic violence at the time. But the NC-17 rating was new at that time, too. So, But I totally got the sense of what you're saying there, Andy, in that his way to kind of make sure this was an R rating was, let's just keep saying the F word. Yeah, that's what I felt. I didn't think it needed Super so much of it because, I mean, the gore was pretty on point. You can't have, I mean, that level of gore and dismemberment uh, sort of center frame can't be in any kind of PG-13. I think a lot of the uh, F-bombs and stuff also were, it's what I call nervous improv. When you let the uh, actors off their leash, sometimes they will, in order to be the biggest cock on the walk of that scene or to match sort of the level of it, uh, a lot of people that aren't comfortable with improv will just throw in um, an F-bomb. F-bombs. We'll just curse. Uh, and especially with Sterling K. Brown, who I thought his character yeah. was nonsensical. I loved Sterling K. Brown in this movie because he was having I so much. Too. He was having so He's... much F-bomb fun. But he in particular used a lot of uh, F-bombs that when edited together became really clunky because it was right on someone else using it. No one would script it, it that he... way. But he played nonsensical in a way that he felt like it was a take. I mean, honestly, yeah. like at some point, I ended up liking him more than some of the other characters because he went all the way with yeah. it. Sure. I agree with that. Well, and now his relationship. So th- this is to get into the story piece of it, too. His the the we haven't talked much about story yet but the idea here is that the predator that we know has is coming back to bring the humans on earth a ultimate weapon to stop the predator invasion from these evolved hybrid predators and the interesting thing that i think <laughs> needs to be examined in the story is that everyone that is a human is working for the continued living of the human race but they are antagonists through the majority of this movie. And at some point they decide to work together, but only begrudgingly. And through most of the movie, they're trying to kill each other for reasons that are kind of technical and just based on a lack of communication. Did you guys think it was interesting when they chose to fight together? Um, And could they maybe have started fighting together for the betterment of earth much earlier? I would have chosen earlier if only because when they all decide to team together after the predator gives them the time advantage, which I like that phrase right. for a head start, that's where the entire movie just became a big toilet for me was after that yeah. scene. And so it's tough uh, for me to, uh, but yeah, so I would have wanted that feeling of let's all, you know, get together and put on a show. I would have liked that earlier because there's just a lot of wheel spinning. Well, I think they're still shooting each other, each other like less than five minutes before that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I guess that was my thing is that you know you have these moments where they're taking they're taking hostages they're they're handcuffing people and they're threatening each other with death when really what they really want is for they could have at any point just said we're here to make sure that everybody survives and it's it's it felt to me like it was an additional level of kind of that nonsensical storytelling we've got to create some some human antagonists as well so let's make this happen this way. And it's just like, why Why is the government saying, okay, there's an alien loose, but let's kill her because she knows too much? 
okay uh maybe keep her have you, around have you watched if you watched movies and tv shows yeah and these are the <laughs> sorts of things couple. that are dumb it's it's dumb yes, writing it, it is terrible exactly. and shane black is it's, better it's, than that steve yeah okay but it depends what he's going for Ugh, and to me well, this re- it, it reminded me of it reminded me of your next <laughs> where it's like you think you're getting one thing but it's 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 paying homage and reflecting other things and it's it's catering oh, but, to but your next that, was smart your next this, your next yes, elevated it, not but, dumbed it down in order but, to make a this, do- is, uh, this is this is Shane Black making a movie for 14 year olds and he does an exceedingly great But it's an R-rated it. movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and how many R-rated movies what did is you this see movie before? You None. I was too busy in church. <laughs> I mean, he wrote he wrote Lethal Weapon, and, and to me, this this fits with Lethal Weapon, where it's like we've got guys being manly, you know, poor role models, you know really but no this is what's fun and it's guys being guys and being mouthy and cursing and blowing stuff up <laughs> what else do you want when you're 14 and well, to me, so- that's that's what it is and as far as complexity no you don't need that because this is just pure popcorn entertainment something you can just put on and it's for you know for lack of a better term mindless violence you've got government doing stuff why i don't care i don't need a reason i just know they're the government and they do things and you've got you know a bunch of veterans that have you know made weird decisions in life they're they're sort of the outcasts (laughs) they band together and they're going to be the guys that you know stick it to the government because they're going to fight for what's you know to protect one of their own and family oh there's so many there are so many plot holes Mm. and, and issues and all that but I had so much fun with this because it just took me on a ride. I think that's fair, Steve, but I want to say that I think in general, we tend to make the argument at times on this show that our, some of our writers that we like the most are on purpose making movies that aren't executed well to appeal to certain audiences. And I think that at some level, if we're objective enough, we realize that those are just not their best movies. And that's what I think is, is the point here is that um, I think it's a good movie. And I think you want to say those 14, 15 year olds, they're going to love it. When, when the predator is their first rated R movie, I think they're going to love it too. But in general, it doesn't hold water to the original. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't compare in that way to what is is really good about those other Predator movies that we liked. Well, and to that point, I mean, I will I will, uh, you know, agree that there were a lot of laughs coming from the theater. I saw a seven o'clock Friday night show and uh, there were a lot of laughs in the theater. A lot of people really seemed to be enjoying it. And yeah, maybe I'm the old man on his lawn now and I just I am going to have a harder time getting into these sorts of films and maybe there is an audience for it and they're going to really love it. But for my money, if I'm going in to watch a follow-up to the Predator films, I, I mean sadly I'm at a point where I'm not expecting any of them to be good anymore because none of them have been except for the first one. But I was hoping that this one would be because of the Shane Black connection and I'm just I think more than anything I personally am just disappointed because I was holding Shane at maybe too high of standards and I don't feel he delivered what I was looking for. I laughed a lot more in this film than I did in the Happy Time Murders. <laughs> I, I rolled my eyes about the same amount of times. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie it also didn't it didn't know what its best jokes were. There were a lot of jokes that worked and a ton that really hung out to dry in the editing. <laughs> like it was expecting this is a laugh line and everyone just sort of stands around and my audience was dead silent for some of those. Oh really? Yeah. 
That's interesting. I felt, and I, I will say, so my audience, I, I was laughing much more than most of the people in my audience for the stuff that I found. So, come on, get to the choppers. No, yeah, that well, was fun. That, why, homage. Yeah, but, but that's, homage. That's, that's that's an homage. That I wouldn't I wouldn't pull that out as great Shane Black comedy writing. All he's doing is throwing an homage at you. Yeah, right. well, give me a good joke that he wrote. <laughs> what I do, the joke that I do like, and I do want to recount this, is when they talk about the predator. So the self-effacing joke about the predator. That was they, my favorite when part. When Olivia too. Munn first gets into the to see the predator on the table, and and Sterling K. Brown says we're calling it the predator because it uh, it hunts it it finds people that it likes it it hunts them down and it seems to like it. And she says, well, that's not a predator. That's a sports hunter. It sounds like you're talking a lot more like a bass fisherman. That I found funny and clever, and that kind of stuff yep. in the, this movie I think worked. Yes, that, that that's, Shane, felt that's like, yeah. Shane Black to me. Right. Or right. maybe so like Kevin there. Williamson. Like I like that kind of reflection on things. I did but there too. Was, that, yeah, or the, that was exactly Or the joke, what, you're going to kill me now with a Trank gun? <laughs> and he says, well, yeah, you kidnapped my son. And then he shoots him in the eye with the Trank gun. I, I, I liked that. That kind of stuff I like. When the kid, uh, when uh, the adorable Jacob Tremblay was out trick-or-treating, and they do that brutal, where the, the shoulder gun sh- blows up that entire house, <laughs> that's the anarchic spirit that I yeah. wanted so right. much for this movie. When that came, I was like, oh, a new lease on life. This movie's insane. And then it turned out it not to be insane. insane. It was just kind of stupid and lazy. Right. <laughs> like, And then they shoot the dog in the head, and the dog is like their best friend. What was that, that all about? Why was What's that? the point was of that? the dogs? All he does is eat grenades. He just uh, barf. <laughs> and he then bar- spits he up. barfs up Deux Machina. Wait, what's it? What's Deux the Deux Deux Machina. Deux Machina. That's all he does. Yeah. <laughs> that of course everyone immediately knows what it is, even if it's alien technology, and immediately knows how to use it. We have to talk about logic jumps at some point. Well, she threw the grenade for him to go fetch earlier. It's not like he's just. Carrying around grenades in his stomach to to bark. Oh, that was a grenade. Oh, yeah. She threw the grenade for him to go. I didn't know that the first time. I didn't know that. I thought it was just a rock. It wasn't filmed great. Okay. No. No. Yes, I agree. There there was a lot of points where some of the the directing in this, I I felt like Shane Black's direction, especially some of the action, was a little sloppy. Uh, Sometimes during the big fighting, when people were getting killed, in particular, like I had a hard time going. Well, who's that? That they just got killed so quickly. Totally unceremonious. Totally didn't get to really get any time with that, except for the two, the two jokesters that was like two of the most annoying characters. Oh man! Uh, I actually have a question to ask about uh, that. Thomas Jane. Wow. When we were there, and Stephen Sterling K. Brown's uh, joke death was almost unwatchable. Literally unwatchable. I still don't exactly know what happened. He turned the wrong way and got his head in the way of his dumb looking shoulder thing. It was just that was just really sloppy directing. Uh, But but I do have I do want to bring up in the that scene of the Thomas Jane and. Keegan Michael Key's death scene. Do you want to do that sure. now? The Hari or do you Kiri, want to do that a little bit the, later? The, the American Hari Kiri scene? Right, yeah. The, Let's the, shoot the, each other. The, because they had been involved in a friendly fire incident before, they literally killed each other with friendly fire. I get that. Yeah. That's fun. Do you guys believe <laughs> that... Choose, choose a different adjective, please. Uh, that was sexy. Do you guys <laughs> believe... Was, well, uh, well done. Thanks. Um, that he was trying to be poignant or make a joke with that a whole... Joke. You thought so too. I think he was trying to yeah, make a joke. Yeah, trying to make a joke. Everybody, all right, fair enough. 
then I, I take it back. I, I saw it with uh, three people and we were split down the half. I think he was trying to make a weirdly somewhat poignant moment with the music, with the filming. I get that when you're making a joke, you play it really straight, but he didn't sell the joke for me. And I thought I got embarrassed when the whole audience started laughing because I was afraid that he thought that that was watching two heroes go out in a cool way. But apparently I'm very alone. And so. I well, no, but the point, I think you're making a good point because those kind of things happen a lot in this movie with those, I mean, what we're talking about now is a litany of unceremonious deaths of characters that we either choose to invest in early on in the movie or we choose to disregard, but they're part of the story. And it, it, that kind of confusion, I think, makes why this movie is so uneven uh, and that why there's such a, it's a very difficult and disorienting tempo the tone as you're going through. The tone shifts in the tempo, yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with with that I, I think um, it, it, it could be governed by your theater right I mean if everybody laughs at that scene it becomes a joke if, mm. it, if they don't if everyone sweeps into it and that's I think that's unfortunate for the story really one other joke that I really liked and laughed a lot is when Olivia Munn was uh, about to get off the bus and everybody's like we'll catch you we'll catch you we'll catch you and then they walked away and she fell yeah, that was funny. I, I, I th- because it, it's great too because we start talking about how these the the Merc characters, the, all the the war crime insane guys, are all these have all gone through these terror things, and we're talking about how tough they are throughout the whole movie. But again, they're threatened by this alien force that is terrifying, and they don't know how to react. So it made them very human in that moment to be like, uh, "I'm terrified. I'll help you, but I'm not really going to help you." And then I don't know. It was funny. Mm-hmm. So it, part of that of being those soldiers of fortune right uh, hearkening back to the original movie is all the crazy macho posturing that we get from them the what about uh, boyd holbrook I, I don't even know who boyd holbrook is can you guys school me on who he is quinn mckenna the the lead of this movie Did you wasn't he in logan he was in logan yeah oh was he the bad guy in logan yeah with, yeah. The, with the mechanical hand which ah, i remember liking him in this for me this was I thought he was a terrible choice. I would have wanted any of the other characters to be the lead. He was right. just I th- I, such I empty. came into this thinking Sterling K. Brown was going to be the lead. Yeah, I would have loved that because he was having so much fun. It was, yeah. I get the idea of like this macho, never really ruffled, line dropping kind of person, but he was so unmagnetic and so not interesting that I just thought he really brought the movie down quite a bit. I never cared about him. I was never on his side. Well, and he also made it hard to really, uh, you know, have a protagonist that that carried the film well. And and so, yeah, I agree. I, I really didn't like him. And then by the time you're getting to the ending and it's like, OK, wait a minute. So now is uh, is Jacob Tremblay the the protagonist? They, it, it started getting into confusing territory because it's the whole McKenna thing. But it's not really. But, but I liked Jacob Tremblay a lot more than I liked Boyd Holbrook. So Me it too. was it was a Me it was too. a terrible choice for a lead. Yeah, the kid was great. The kid was awesome. And you know that whole red herring about which McKenna is the real warrior is what the the, the super predator says. I think is an interesting twist in the middle of the movie, but I totally got it well before they revealed it to us. Mm, because who's going to pick Quinn McKenna? <laughs> He's the worst. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and then, so now the other folks on his squad, uh, Nebraska, Trevante Rhodes is the uh, actor there. I liked him as a character. I couldn't stand the fact that in every scene, regardless of what they were doing, he was smoking. It was and they ridiculous. used it as 
they brought it at the end to be that was his thing, but it, it just didn't it was really forced and I don't have a problem with him with a character smoking, but there were scenes where he's running and he's, I mean, he's literally doing what he can to hold a, a, a bouncing cigarette in his yeah. mouth, which and I he's just always, think is just too They're much. always just lit. It's also kind of sloppily yeah. done. It's just like light the cigarette action. Yeah. Like when he's staking people out, when he's sitting next to the kid, that was his thing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And to me, it felt like that was Shane Black you know sticking it to you know smoking in movies like i, I feel like shane black really does things like that yeah because i mean yeah. he just seems like the sort of guy who's going to gonna do that and so he's like i'm gonna have a character who smokes all the time that seems like too smart right or so well, we're giving him that much credit no because it's so sloppily done because it's so insane i mean maybe it, it only ex- it seems to exist as an fu to no smoking campaigns because it's so sloppily done it's so ridiculous how often he has a cigarette it's got to be if it's not some sort of parody then it's just really lazy writing directing and editing <sighs> i think so so this walks the line between mistake and purpose right i mean honestly like hmm. it, it would be great for us to know about this that if he was purposefully parodying something like that um but it's really hard to know with this character who's not the lead. He's very important. And, and I actually liked him as a character. Other mm-hmm. than the cigarette thing, I thought he was interesting. And yep. his, what he brought in his backstory, I thought was interesting, too, to the story. But this particular aspect of this character that isn't a lead, it's kind of the right-hand man of our, of our lead, um, and eventually you know, ends up dying. Um, it, it seems like, how can it be that important of a point? It feels much more conceptually a mistake than a purpose. Other people, Keegan-Michael Key, we just did a movie about him earlier this week, Steve. We did a trailer rewind about Don't Think Twice. This is a very different role for him, but he is making a lot of jokes. He's yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's easier to laugh at him in this movie than in Don't Think Twice. <laughs> that is true. Uh, I didn't dislike him. I like him pretty much in everything that he is. I didn't think the character was important to the story other than uh, the sort of deus ex machina that's being used for the jokes for what's happening in the story. So uh, I like him because I think he's a compelling actor, but I didn't need the character. He would have been the comic relief, except that Shane Black seemed to think that everyone was kind of the comic relief. <laughs> Good point. Uh, that's that's where it just gets sort of spread out. And wh- that's why one of the reasons that I think he could be exercised or excised from this movie is because everyone yeah. was sort of quirky and weird. Olivia Munn, uh, I think I think was great. I, I like her. I'm kind of biased. I like her in pretty much everything she does. Um, I was super happy with what with her sort of candor as you mentioned, everybody being comic. Her jokes, I thought were generally some of the ones that were better than mm-hmm. the other ones, probably because of her delivery. Um, how did you feel about uh, Olivia's performance here? <laughs> for taking the movie for what it is, no one was given a whole lot to work with. I mean, really, there's, you know. You, you I, can just say you didn't like it. No, no, no. I think, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm, I'm disappointed because it, we start the film with her, really, of, you know, she's sort of our, you know, audience surrogate getting pulled out and taken to the lab and all of that. And so she's the scientist. And then ultimately as, you know, well, as I will say in the eighties, it's, you know, everything's going to devolve down to the simplest thing in, in action and fighting. So rather than her giving her a lot of smart things to do, uh, you know, she disappears for a significant period of time. And then, you know, magically shows up with the little invisibility, you know, uh, well, yes, cloaking, Thing. That no, 
that no one taught her how to use. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it. Yeah. No. There wasn't. I think she was brought on, in as I, the genius scientist. But right, yeah. Yes. I, I. I enjoyed her <laughs> earlier on. I think she had more interesting things to do earlier on, and then there just wasn't a place for her in the story. Once right. we get to the free for all in the forest. Uh. So yeah, disappointed. Couldn't find better things, but that's not the type of movie that that I think was trying to be I appreciated made. that especially if we're talking about 80s it didn't treat her as a quote unquote girl I enjoy that it really put guns in her hand even though that trink gun looked so fake and weird uh yes. but the but they she at some point I mean she is a scientist and then later completely knows how to work all the machine guns and she's a great shot yes. whatever putting all that aside I'm just glad that she wasn't like the foil like the I'm uptight and in high heels yeah. or like the joke you know kind of yeah. thing where they, we didn't have a lot of ev- everyone has to damsel. just protect her yeah. right yeah she was exactly. a screaming damsel of like oh no this dog's coming to get me and I'm screaming help me save me yeah, I appreciated that very much more assertive than yes and so. she's an incredibly fast runner because at the end after the ship uh, blows up she runs across an entire forest <laughs> in about four minutes so good work awesome good work Olivia I I think we should also mention the the controversy that's come out, and maybe we shouldn't even call it a controversy so much uh, that has happened with this film in that there was a scene cut from it because uh, Olivia found out that uh, one of the actors that was brought to the scene, brought to the movie by Shane Black, actually, had been uh, accused of sexual assault uh, on a 14-year-old. And so they ended up having the the scene cut, and there's been a lot of interviews uh, about how it happened. Uh, Initially, Olivia was really out on her own uh, making this point, um, and that she had felt that really she made this happen by calling the studio and getting it cut, and that no one, she had felt that kind of her crew was, her cast and crew were kind of leaving her out uh, on her own on it she found a lot of support in her family but in new interviews that i see i see people showing up to stand by her in this uh, keegan michael key in particular um as someone that i've seen is uh talking about their support for her in this action so um i don't i found myself knowing about that controversy i found myself searching for where it would happen early in the film but eventually i just kind of let it go and was just watching i had a guess actually because i i don't know what the scene was but she's kind of one of the only characters that before she's in the thick of things doesn't really get an introduction yeah they just a bunch of nameless people pick her up at a dog park right my guess is if i had to guess it's that she had a cool scene proving her coolness and maybe the fact that she knows how all alien technology works and guns or whatever that that scene maybe happened at the dog park would be my only guess it's very possible because what i've heard about the content of the scene is that this person uh, was hitting on her in particular um and that was part of the (laughs) funny (laughs) that is that is probably well i shouldn't say that's probably that is part of the reason why it was so distasteful for her and such a terrible thing to have happen is that she had to act in a scene where someone who had been involved in sexual abuse was then coming onto her too and it made her feel really gross and really terrible Mm. and and, because she had no prior knowledge of this stuff before they did it for the movie and i i I get that i i totally understand that from her and i'm glad that it that her protest and her standing up for herself was effective yeah and and uh, you know i it's it's frustrating that even like people like shane black I, i i get it it's his friend but you know he was you know he was you know, against her really to begin with. And, and it was just like, you know, I get it. Some people might disapprove. Um, I, he has since offered apologies, uh, up the wazoo because uh, otherwise I think people would be, uh, shunning him as well. But, uh, it is, it is a, you know, it's, it's, 
it's one of those things you don't mess with i think uh yes the other guys in the crew uh we had thomas jane we've talked about the tourette's guy which i found to be terribly unfortunate the mm-hmm. alfie allen the lynch the entropy guy only had one line about his character and then you've got nettles the bible guy in general they weren't really developed characters they feel felt like kind of one-offs for jokes to it, your it, point, it, at the end, when he puts all the totems on that little handkerchief, the only one I was yeah. able to identify right away was the cigarettes. I was like, I don't know who right. any of this belongs to otherwise. The um, Just to your point about uh, uh, Thomas Jane's character, I didn't know this, but apparently Shane Black has Tourette's. And so he purposely oh. wrote it into the character uh, because of that. And he just wanted to make it something that was more prevalent i guess in in storytelling so more people kind of saw it i don't know maybe they should put that that note in the opening credits so that we're aware when we're watching the movie so that we can make it no my point is that i think (laughs) i get it that he wrote it in there but it really feels the other characters treat him as a joke yeah so what's the point uh, yeah Yeah. i don't know that it accomplishes what he's trying to do there what do you guys think well, no, because the, the, the child that's on the spectrum turns out to be sort of a brilliant hero. The guy with uh, Tourette's is a butt of a joke for most of the yeah. film. So I don't think that there's I don't I don't know how that helps. No, I, I don't. I wouldn't have. I would have thought the exact same thing that like it was a kind of a, a poor way to write this character. And then I learned that. And then, yeah, it made me like, wow, really? That's how he chose to address it. Okay. I don't it's say. bold and i still feel that it's unfortunate yeah yeah and i guess my point about those three characters is that they really didn't stick out i think it's interesting that you mentioned the thing about the handkerchief tom i the entropy guy when he he died like instantly as soon as they got into battles yeah so there was there was no reason to even introduce him to us at any point all he's the, the game of, of thrones we saw guy of him, right yeah the Game of Thrones yeah. guy gets a dumb death and Boyd Holbrook lives the entire time. <laughs> I don't understand this movie. <laughs> right. Um, Jake Busey. Jake Busey's in the lab. Is Tell me if I'm wrong. Is Jake Busey also the guy who is in Contact yes. that was the albino? That So I find that really interesting because that's everything that I was projecting was like, oh, this guy's going to do something really bad. <laughs> Because oh, all funny. I could think of was going to blow it up. That's yeah. funny. What's interesting about uh, Jake Busey's character is he is actually playing the son of Keys from the first movie, who was played by Gary Busey, who is Jake Busey's father. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. And you know that the, the middle school that he went to, that the kid that um, that Jacob Tremblay went to, it was Lawrence Gordon Middle School. They made a big point of showing that when they went that he's the producer of the original. Uh, predator movie so there's it, we talk about the homage in this movie there's a lot of it about hearkening back i didn't pay attention to the name of the school i was just you know looking at it as the the sight gag of you know parents and stds yep you know i missed that that was the that was the first <laughs> quote-unquote joke of the movie was uh that parents and students but parents and stds welcome oh that's funny Oh, that's what the oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, I didn't even read that because they were so prominent on that sign. I was like, "Who's Lawrence Gordon?" Yeah, I w- I went ha. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction out loud in the movie. I went ha because you're not fourteen, Tom. You're not. 14, I know <laughs> that's a sexual disease. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all all I was focusing on was that it was like pre Halloween, and I'm like, "Oh, here's Shane Wait, Black and his Halloween, or it's his his holiday. No, it's not Christmas, it, but it's still a it's holiday. It's not Christmas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was I thought I was waiting for Christmas, and I was surprised when we got Halloween. Yeah. 
was the music the music was the themes were the same as the original one right Correct. like when we see the chopper that's the original music right chopper. yes yeah alan silvestri's main theme is still uh the main theme here uh or, yeah, so yeah. that's i only noticed it when it was really loud and really kind of intense which was kind of the first whole third of the movie i almost felt as though that it was written into the screenplay that like while uh rory mckenna is going around his shop and playing with alien technology that they really needed dramatic music to make us feel how terrible it was um or Mm. or dangerous i guess is the thing so i found that super interesting but i only noticed when it was the old theme and i really like so henry jackman did the music for this i really like henry jackman's movie music in a lot of movies and i didn't notice anything different than the original themes did you guys find anything other than those points about music that were important I uh, I didn't. I, I do like Henry Jackman um, uh, here and there. Um, but yeah, I didn't feel like he brought something new to this one. Um, but I was glad uh, at, that he at least continued some of uh, the previous themes from the original film. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't notice. I mean, I don't remember knowing the original themes, but I definitely recognized it when I saw the movie. So I thought that that, that mm. was kind of a good way of doing it. That's cool. In terms of final thoughts, are there anything else that you guys want to say about this before we try to figure out where it goes in our mix of movies? Like I said, I, I the theater I was in seemed to be enjoying it for the most part. I, I think there were a few people in it like me who were kind of rolling their eyes through most of it. But I, I think a lot of the audience was still enjoying it. So I do think that it will find its home. I don't know if it's going to be a huge success or if it's just going to be a moderate success, but I expect it to still be a success in the theaters. I will say I did find it interesting. I I actually walked in um, a few minutes late into the IMAX screening. And so as soon as it ended, I jumped over into the regular screening that was just getting started. And I was so surprised by the noticeable picture difference between the two because it's not it's a total IMAX theater. It's it's very much a regular movie theater that just has better sound, basically. But the picture but the picture looked so much better. It was crisper. It was the blacks were I mean, that's really what I noticed. The blacks were just so much richer than the other uh, uh, presentation. So um, when it was stretched, are you saying better on IMAX or better on the regular? Better on the IMAX screen. It was just, yeah. uh, it's huh. it, interesting. They just, I mean, I was honestly surprised because I'm, I'm, I hate going to IMAX movies because it cost me so much more. It just happened to be the, the time that worked for me. And, uh, and so when I walked into the other theater, I just, I wasn't expecting to really see the difference, but it really was uh, quite apparent. All right. Well, if that's what we have to talk about, I think it's time that we rank this one. Flick chart, flick chart, time to hunt the predator, flick chart time. Very nice. Check out the entire film board filmography ranked at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. When you get there, you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your own and see how your big screen proclivities compare to ours. Where do we start, Andy? All right. First up, we have the predator or Batman V Superman Dawn of Justice. Oh, the predator, the predator. Oh, man, (laughs) the predator, the predator. Yeah, I'll still take the predator. Uh, I don't know. Wonder Woman. Uh, Who's Martha? Yeah, uh, (laughs) it's 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 a rough one. The predator or Beirut. Oh, man. I'll still Beirut. Beirut. The predator. predator. Oh, we got a tie. Steve and Tom do some Rochambeau. One, two, three. Paper. Paper. <laughs> Scissors. 
<laughs> we gotta keep going. Yeah, you oh, you just, just go without counting? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we yeah, just start over, You just kind of go, one more, you go with the yes. same beat do until. One, do yeah. one more count and then I won't mess okay. up. Go ahead. Okay. I'll do it counting down. Three, two, one. Paper. Okay. I so win. Beirut wins. Uh. You're welcome, John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Predator or Ant Man. Absolutely, Ant Man. Oh, Ant Man. Yes. Abstain. That movie is made of my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Predator or Snowden. I'll take Snowden. I will Abstain. Yes, I will take Snowden. Yes. Snowden wins. The Predator or Kingsman. The Golden Circle. Kingsman. Oh, any of the Kingsmen. Kingsmen. The Golden yes, Circle. King- I yes. think I'll say Kingsman the Golden Circle as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess I will. I didn't like it. I didn't either. The Predator yeah. or Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets? Oh, that's a I'll good go one. Valerian. I, I no. think I'll go with Valerian too. I, Predator. Predator. I enjoyed oh, Valerian yeah. so much more than I ever would have expected. We okay, gotta die. So Tom and Andy, you guys do Rochambeau. All right. Oh, Andy, you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three. Rock, Rock. scissors. Oh. Okay, yeah. so uh, that means Tommy won. So that's the predator. Am I really good at this game? <laughs> <laughs> well, that lands Holy the cow. predator at thirty-five on our chart. Thirty-five out of seventy-three. Right so right about the middle. Right in the middle. So that makes sense. It's at a fifty-two percent. And it's really weird for me for the letterbox ranking because I see that it's a good movie. I'm ranking it a three stars but it's a not like for me i didn't like it but i think i i still go back huh. to what you're saying steve those 14 and 15 year olds or, or even the people in their young 20s who again aren't going to remember or care about the original predator like i do they're probably going to see this and they're going to see it as like mm. in the marvel movie vein and it's going to kickstart a new predator idea and other things and they might like this movie the, the stuff that i laughed at they might like in a way that i definitely did not so it's a three and a dis like for me interesting sorry i keep talking <laughs> no, no, tommy you shut up you, let the tommy how many going. how many stars tommy how many stars and did you like two star uh two stars dislike i'm three stars and a like i am one and a half stars and a dislike Woo! shots fired it was bad it was just plain up bad no oh <laughs> <laughs> yes so that's, <laughs> okay, that's so, an average of 2.375. So yeah, Len, Len, so two and a half and not alike. Got it. That's where it sits for us. Uh, where do we go from here? Next month is October. We talked about a movie to see, and we saw lots of different things that we thought would be interesting in October. So we're going to kind of hold off a little bit. The things that we have our eyes on right now are all happening the weekend of October 12th. That's kind of where we're prioritizing right now. There's two movies we're interested in. We might see First Man, which is the story of Neil Armstrong, or we might go see, is it the battle or no is it the battle of bad the el royale bad, the, times, at yeah, the bad royale. times at the el royale those two movies are the ones that have us have a, our ears right now so if you are hearing this and you have a particular choice out of those two let us know because we'd be interested to hear what you think too we're kind of interested in both in totally different ways so that's where we're going to look in october for where we're going also coming out is the uh, movie about the plagiarist with melissa mccarthy andy what's the name of that one can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Yeah. So that might be interesting to us, too. It's a little bit more of an art film, but those are the movies we talked about for October. So we want to hear from you guys, too. Andy, on the main show, on the next Real Weekly show, what uh, you guys are working on the 68 crime series, right? How did uh, how did the, you guys get started on that? What's going on with 68? 
Well, we're celebrating 50th anniversaries, uh, 50th anniversaries ah. of films and of franchises. So we've done 2001, the Odyssey films, and we did the Planet of the Apes original five films, and now we're jumping into crime films. So it's uh, it's been an interesting, uh, it'll be an interesting series to cover. We're looking forward to that one. Awesome. That's cool. I didn't know that that was the reason. That makes sense. There's going to be a lot of good movies in that bunch. And I want to remind everyone out there listening that we gather with the Next Real community on our Discord channel about a half an hour before every film board movie to chat a bit about how much or how little, like tonight, fun we had at the movie. And we do a little <laughs> pre-show pep fest with all of you wonderful folks as well. Check out the Next com for details on how you can get an online invite to the soiree. Not only that, JJ, but we should also throw out that people can join our Discord conversations for free anytime. They can jump into the conversation in the Discord community. That's right. And now, and that's not talking to us like that, but on that, we have message boards and we're talking about lots of interesting different things about people's favorite movies, people, different reviews that people are seeing on TV, on movies, anywhere that you're finding entertainment. We have cool conversations going on about that as well. Absolutely. Gracias, Danka, and Taksomiket to every single person out there around the world that can hear me. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Say goodnight, Steve Sarmento. Hondo. See you soon, Tommy Handsome. Is that better? <laughs> nope. Sleep That's well, Andy right. Nelson. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> the big group will gather again in October. In the meantime, enjoy Andy and Pete's trip through crime. <laughs> See what I did there? Time, right? (laughs) Anniversary. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. How does it? Oh wait! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! <laughs> so you're that's s- closer. You're no. snoring. That's, that's what that is. You're snoring. Okay. Well, how would you guys? How would you guys do it? Hi, hi, hi it's me, the predator. <laughs> how, how would it. you guys do it? Like this. Like, like this. Oh. It's mechanical. Well, that's immediately better than what I just went out on the box. See, you said, you asked, how would you guys do it? I should, uh, I should stop asking questions. Do it again. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. 
For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 